everybody. How are you? Good. Most of you are all right. It's good to see you. Thank you for choosing to be here this morning and prioritizing our time. Uh, Let's pray and then we'll get right down to work. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. Um, Jesus, we thank you for uh, pursuing us in our rebellion and living a perfect life on our behalf, dying a substitutionary death in our place, for taking our wickedness and giving us your righteousness so we could be adopted in. Thank you for giving us your spirit. He brings us to life and he sustains our life. And we need, we need your help now this morning, Holy Spirit, to hear from our Father, to, to look to Jesus, um, to take our eyes off of ourselves, and, and even to be able to just have a gospel lens as we, view, as we view the entirety of our lives and in particularly the challenges that we may be facing. I pray that you'd encourage us in Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, so this is our second and final week in the book of Daniel, like John said, and our theme is Sovereign King, Confidence for Changing Seasons and Uncertain Futures. Last week, we learned that Daniel divides neatly into two sections. Chapters 1 to 6 contain six stories from Daniel's life, and we explored those stories last week. Then chapters 7 to 12 are filled with Daniel's visions. What you need to know is both the stories and the visions point to the same theme over and over again. That is, our sovereign king is our confidence in changing seasons and uncertain futures. And that's good news for everybody here this morning because, um, well, life in Okinawa is nothing but changing seasons. And for most of you, anything beyond Okinawa is just an uncertain future um, at this point. So this is really good news for us. Um, It's been said that the seventh chapter of Daniel, where we're about to jump into in a minute, the seventh chapter of Daniel begins the dangerous part of this book, the dangerous part of this book. I believe that Daniel 7 to 12 is dangerous uh, for at least three reasons. Let me just give you the reasons I think it's dangerous. Uh, number one, it's dangerous because of what's found here. A guy named Brian Chappelle wrote this. He said, Daniel's visions and dreams is a world that has puzzled and humbled commentators and preachers for generations. So it's important for us to keep in mind that the main point is not to generate a debate. It's not to be close-handed or dogmatic about timelines and things like that. The main purpose of Daniel is to encourage God's people by pointing us to our sovereign king. So it can be dangerous because of what's found there and what we do with it. It's dangerous, number two, if you go for the wrong reasons. Uh, Someone else has said, the prophecies in Daniel are so important, but we can become so stressed and so combative about the interpretation of particular aspects of the prophecies that we neglect the central message of of the book. And that central message is this. He says, God will rescue his people from their sin and misery by the work of a Messiah. Or in the words of John Frame, I like what he said. He said, when scripture tells us about the return of Christ, it doesn't give us this information so that we can put it on a chart and watch the events as they pass by. That would be catering to our intellectual pride, among other things. So why then does scripture have so much to say about the last days? John Frame argues that Scripture has so much to say about the last days so that we can reorder our lives around Jesus and his return. 
So what's the main point in Daniel? What do we need to see? What do we need to hear this morning? The main point is this. Increased confidence in Christ, not in end times calendars or prophetic charts. Okay, we want to see Jesus and we want our confidence to be anchored in him. There's a third reason I think this portion of Daniel can be dangerous. It's dangerous for you if you don't go here. It's dangerous for us if we don't spend any time in what could be considered a pretty intimidating section of scripture. Um, So I watched Public Confession. I watched Harry Potter, uh, the first one, for the first time in my life just a week or two ago. Now, some of you are like, man, about time, John. Others of you are like, that's really pathetic. I can't believe you caved. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, I watched it. And did you know there's this place called the Forbidden Forest? Did you know that? And did you know, you do know, that first-year students, or all students, cannot go there, right? Is that right? Can't go to the forbidden forest. Um, Here's how Daniel can be dangerous. Daniel is dangerous if you treat it like the forbidden forest in Harry Potter, and you don't go there. You must venture in. Like, you have to go into this forest. You have to explore, and you have to get lost. You will. I did all week long, 7 to 12. Start reading. Okay, I'm lost. Let's go back to the beginning. Like, you will get lost in this forest. Uh, But we still need to spend time here, lots of time, because it's good for our souls. Daniel's message is our Father's gift to us. It's a gift designed to help us daily reorder our lives in light of Jesus' return. And the daily reminder is this, when you begin to lose hope, right, when you begin to lose hope, when hope is lost, to look to Jesus, who is our sovereign and rescuing king. Now, let's be honest, the original... um, readers of Daniel did not yet know Jesus' name. They knew that the Father would send a rescuing king. They didn't know that his name would be Jesus. But as revelation would unfold and as history would go by, obviously we can look back on Daniel and we can see, we'll see it this morning, like, man, that's Jesus right there. That's Jesus right there. We'll see him all over the storyline. So let's venture in. Um, And let me say this, while Daniel is not the forbidden forest, It is a forest. Like there are lots of trees in this forest. And we want to be careful that we don't lose sight of the forest, like the big picture of Daniel, for all the trees, all the details, the apocalyptic imagery, the dates, the numbers. And I'm I'm telling you, like, if you haven't been there yet, we're going to see some of that this morning. Um, So let's map out the forest before we press in so that we, like, we have a sense of where we're going so it's less intimidating and so that we don't lose sight of the big picture. It's actually more simple than we think it is on the surface. Basically, in these chapters of Daniel, there are three visions and one prayer. Like, that's it. Daniel has three visions, and right in the middle of this thing, he prays a really long prayer. Um, He must have been a pastor. Praise a really long prayer to God. Here they are, chapter seven, vision number one. Um, here's the title of that, my title that I'm giving, giving it. Worn out suffering people, hope in Jesus, our sovereign and rescuing king. Okay, that's chapter seven. Worn out suffering people, hope in the rescuing king. Vision number two, chapter eight, we'll just title it, but when, but when God. Uh, then in chapter nine, we'll see the prayer and we'll see this principle. In uncertainty, we have to learn to turn our face to the sovereign king. When we're uncertain, when we're unsure, when we're hopeless, turn our face to the sovereign king. And then chapters 10 to 12, actually, this is one long vision. It'll be vision number three. And we'll, characterize, we'll, we'll title it this way, Fearful Road, um, Faithful King, and Future Hope. Okay, Fearful Road, Faithful King, and Future Hope. That's Daniel 7 to 12. Like, there it is. We just go home now, and you could read it this afternoon for yourself. But you came here, so let's, let's talk through it. Um, 
What are we looking for when we get there, right? That's the roadmap, but what are we looking for in Daniel? We are looking for any and all reasons that Jesus is our hope, okay? If we finish Daniel, which we will today, and we have a cool prophecy chart that we've doodled during the series, like we've done it wrong. If we finish Daniel and we have an end times calendar that we can hang on our wall now, like we've done it wrong. Um, if we finish Daniel and we have stronger arguments for how we feel that things are all gonna play out in the end, we've done it wrong. But if we get to the end of our time in Daniel this morning and we've increased our confidence in Christ, then we're doing it right. That's why Daniel's book was written. So that's my goal for us this morning. Just so you know, full disclosure up front, uh, that's where we're going. And that's my hope for us that through our time in Daniel, our confidence in Jesus will be increased. All right, ready for vision number one? They're crazy visions. So here we go. Chapter seven, vision number one, worn out, suffering people, hope in Jesus, our sovereign and rescuing king. Just for context, Daniel's an old man now. He's most likely in his late 60s, maybe even his earlier 70s. When we encountered him last week in the first story, he was still a teenager, 18, 19, maybe even a little bit younger, but he's an old man now. Chapter seven is the center of Daniel. It's right here. It's the heart of the book where all the themes come together. Chapter seven is Daniel's first recorded vision. You remember last week, though, in chapter two, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's uh, first vision. Now chapter seven is Daniel's first vision, and it's closely connected to the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has in chapter two. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about four kingdoms. Remember that? Uh, Daniel's about to have a vision about four kingdoms. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he envisioned these kingdoms as impressive and as strong, something to look at and just be amazed by, like, man, look at what we can do. It was an impressive statue representing four different kingdoms. That's not how they're portrayed in Daniel's um, dream at all. In fact, um, in Daniel's vision, same four kingdoms, they're portrayed as just beastly creatures that are absolutely destructive in rebellion to God. Man, that really clues us in. Like the way we tend to look at things as people is radically different than the way God looks at things. We see power in this world and like, wow, look at that. That's amazing. And that could be life-giving. Like I need some of that. And that's going to be around forever. The father looks down and he looks at the kingdoms of this world and he, he sees short-term shelf life. And he sees corruption and injustice and power grabbing and um, image uh, degrading, um, abusive uses of power. He sees beastliness is what he sees. And here's Daniel's vision. It goes like this. First, he sees something like a lion with eagle's wings. If you keep reading, you see the wings get plucked out. He's given the mind of a man, and then he's, given, he's made to stand up like a man. Look at a hideous creature. This creature represents the kingdom of Babylon. So this is contemporary stuff for Daniel. Number two, Daniel sees something like a ravenous bear that devours much flesh. He has a really messed up grill. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but his mouth is super funky. Okay. And he's just a ravenous bear. That, that creature represents Persia, the kingdom of Persia, which is also contemporary for Daniel. And then he sees something like a four-headed leopard with four wings of a bird. A little bit crazy. That's Greece. We're told later in the chapter this, this creature represents Greece. And then number four, he sees something that almost can't be described. Um, we're going to read his description, but it's, it's a beastly beast. It's kind of beyond even our imagination. Um, the super beast is really what it's called. It's a super beast. Um, it's sinister. This, this is the kind of beast that makes the creature in Stranger Things look like a domesticated house pet that you just brought home from the store and you want to cuddle with. Like, this is a, a hideous, evil, sinister beast, okay? Um, 
Here it is, chapter seven, verse seven. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying. So here's 75-year-old man, Daniel, who's been fed to lions, right? And been everywhere, done that. He's terrified at this vision. Um, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. Those 10 horns represented 10 different kingdoms, right? Then he says, three of those horns fall out and the three that fall out are replaced by one singular horn, another horn, and this horn, ready, has eyes and a mouth. Weird, right? Eyes and a mouth. So this horn is looking back at Daniel and probably talking to him in his dream, okay? Um, Gets worse. Here he describes this horn. So this horn represents a rebel king, verse 21. As I looked, this horn or this rebel king, this kingdom, made war with the saints, so those are God's people, and prevailed over them. It was like winning against God's people. Verse 25 of chapter 7, he says, This rebel king shall speak words against the Most High and shall, look at this phrase, man. Look at this phrase, wear out the saints. Just wear out God's people. Just grind them down and wear them out. But thankfully for Daniel and for us, there's more to this vision than just beasts who wear out God's people. Daniel sees a throne room. Check out verses 9 to 14. Daniel said, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. One of the ways we get in trouble with Daniel is trying to take everything hyper literally, super literally. So with those numbers, for example, where he said thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, he's not asking us to get a calculator and do the math to see the total. He's just saying a massive crowd that I can't count was serving this king and a bigger crowd than that, which just blows my mind with numbers I don't even have to express they were there to worship this king. That's all he's saying. And so then I looked, um, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So what did Daniel see? Daniel saw the ancient of days who is God himself. This is God himself in Daniel's vision. And what Daniel sees is that one day in the future, God himself will judge and destroy all rebel kings and kingdoms who have rejected his kingship. And there's more. Daniel also watches as the ancient of days, God himself appoints the one true sovereign rescuing king. Here's what he says. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, the authority to rule and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Where have we heard that language before? Maybe the book of Revelation, the final image around the throne, where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered to worship who? Jesus. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So what is Daniel seeing? He's seeing the sovereign rescuing king who is, we will find out later, is Jesus himself. And one of the ways we know this is he said, he sees one like a son of man. Do you know what the most common way Jesus referred to himself in the gospels is? Like by far, the title he gives himself more than anything else. You know what it is? Son of man. 
Son of Man. This is Jesus himself right here. And so what we see then is rescued rebels are adopted into this good and forever kingdom under the kind kingly rule of the only righteous king who's ever lived, Jesus. Verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, all of earth, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, Jesus, shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, for Daniel, this is a really big deal because it's hard for us to see, but this is the fulfillment of something that's known as the Davidic promise, okay? What happened was David, who was the second king for Israel, um, God made a promise to him, and he said, your throne is going to be forever. I will establish it forever. There will be a perfect king, and he will always rule for my glory and the good of, of, of my people. But did any king ever live up to that expectation to include David? No. Failure, 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 failure. In fact, the reason God's people are in captivity now is all the kings failed, but they failed too. They all rebelled against God. So in this vision... Like David or Daniel could be having this question, man, we're in captivity because of our unfaithfulness to God. Is there any reason for God to continue being faithful to us? We haven't been faithful to him at all. And so in this vision, the father is looking at Daniel and saying, well, I will absolutely be faithful to you. And here's the demonstration of this. Here, here, here I am, the ancient of days. Um, I've been around forever. I've seen it all. I knew you were going to rebel. And I have prepared this way to be faithful to you. I am going to send this perfect rescuing king for your good. So will I be faithful to you? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Here is your rescuing king. And guys, this is huge for us too. This was hopeful for Daniel, but this is huge for us too because um, we are just like them. None of us have lived a perfect day. All of us have rebelled in one way or another from the God who created us. And through Jesus, um, the ancient of days, the sovereign king looks at us and says, you are unfaithful. I'm the faithful one. And watch this. I'm going to pursue you through this perfect rescuing king. But even still, with that piece of good news, this vision still disturbed Daniel. Like, this still really messed him up. Really messed him up. Look at verse 15 of chapter 7. Daniel says, As for me, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Verse 28, here's the end of the matter. He says, As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, took the life right out of me. But I kept the matter in my heart. Man, we often feel the same way, don't we? Anxious, alarmed at the prospect of suffering, at the prospect of marginalization in the workplace because we're a follower of Jesus, um, suffering or persecution because of identifying with Christ. And guys, honestly, this is one of the reasons why we need to venture into the forbidden forest that is Daniel. We need to see clearly that the road into God's kingdom is marked by suffering. The road into God's kingdom is marked by suffering. We need to venture in so that we can see that this is the normative experience for anyone who would follow Jesus. We need to venture in to see that our sovereign king calls us to patience and perseverance on this long, hard road as we await his return. We need to be patient and persevere for that day when he will make all the sad things come untrue. We need to venture in to see that we are no different than Daniel. We need to see that just as Daniel had seasons of suffering that absolutely wore him out, all of God's people, guys, all of us, every one of you here, will have seasons of suffering that will wear you out. You're going to have that kind of a season here in Okinawa at some point. We need to see that we're not different than Daniel in this. 
Daniel was not home. He was exiled. Guys, we're not home. The Father's bringing us home, but there's a long, hard road to get there. And Daniel was living in a world broken by rebellion, and so are we. One day, all the broken things will be made right, but the question that always bounces around in our head and heart is like, but when, God? Like, when? When will you fix all the broken things? And that brings us to chapter 8, vision 2. We'll just call it, but when? Daniel, another crazy vision, crazy characters. Daniel sees a ram with two horns. Verse 4 of chapter 8, he said, I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. And then he sees a male goat with a great horn, and it destroys this ram that was seemingly, seemingly invincible. Verses seven and eight of chapter eight, it says, I saw him come close to the ram and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Now, Gabriel, a messenger from God, shows up to explain. Good thing for Daniel. You're going to see this pattern all through the book. Guys, don't be intimidated. Daniel didn't understand any of his dreams. You know what permission that gives us? To just raise our hands and be like, that's good because I don't either. So Gabriel shows up and he says to Daniel, Daniel, the ram that you saw represents the kingdom of Babylon and Persia, right? Contemporary kings and kingdoms while Daniel's alive. And then he says, the goat represents Greece. And in fact, what we'll learn later in the book and through history is that the great horn, most scholars believe, the great horn on that goat is Alexander the Great. And that goat's big horn is broken in the fight and replaced by four kings, just as history would bear out. And out of, out of one of those, a small but dominant horn grows. So we're about to see the same beastly beast that was described in chapter 7 described here in chapter 8. He grows great. He becomes unstoppable. Look at the way he's described here. Verse 24, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. He's going to destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he will destroy many and shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. Many scholars believe that the rebel king that's being described here in chapter 8 is Antiochus Epiphanes. That man invaded Israel in 167 B.C., and he slaughtered thousands of people. In fact, he murdered any circumcised infant, the way the Bible says it. In other words, he murdered um, all infant boys. All the boys were killed. He sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Lord, which was, I mean, a really big deal for Jewish culture. He put a statue of Zeus in the sanctuary of the temple. And he cut up and threw down their holy scrolls. I mean, the way I picture it is you have blood from this pig running all over the floor, and he grabs all the scripture, all of God's words, and just throws them down into this pool of blood. That's Antiochus. In fact, verse 14, so this is crazy. Verse 14 said that this desolation of the temple would last for 2,300 days. Any math scholars in here? How many years is that? About six, right? Six and some change. 
Do you know what happened when Antiochus desolated the temple? Do you know how long that lasted? Just over six years, some six years and some change. And then in verse 25, we read, this rebel king will be broken, but not by a human hand. That's exactly how he died. Antiochus died of a, of a mystery disease that just ravaged his body. Um, but before he, and he was a powerful warrior, but before he died physically, he lost his mind. He was outside of his mind. In this vision, again, what we see, guys, is for God's people, suffering will be normative. Persecution will be a reality. The road home will be long and hard, but evil will not have the final word. We need to hear that, guys, because, look, that's why it's dangerous for us not to go into places like Daniel. If we don't go there when life is hard, when we do face persecution, we will have the sense that I'm unique in this, that I'm alone in this, that God is not good. It will rock the foundation of your life. But if you're in Daniel, if daily you are in forests like this, you will come to see this is normative for God's people through all of time. Um, In this vision... In this vision, um, we see a near fulfillment in Antiochus, but we also see a distant foreshadowing. What Jesus is going to do in the Gospels, he's going to point back to Antiochus and be like, man, that was bad, right, guys? Like, read your history books. That was bad. But there's more persecution coming, and it's going to be worse than what you experienced with Antiochus. It'll happen in a couple years, and then it'll happen again years and years later for my people. He did this in Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, when you read that story of that guy standing in the holy place, and then he goes on to explain what's going to happen, what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to future trouble that would be just like or worse than what Antiochus did to his people then. And for Daniel, you can imagine, this is way too much for him. Like Daniel's overcome by this. Chapter 8, verse 27 says, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And then I rose and I went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision. And I, here it is again. I love this disclosure. It makes me the happiest man in the room. I didn't understand it. Like, it's okay, guys. This is hard stuff. Right? Daniel didn't understand it. But you know what I think he didn't understand? Yeah, this is hard. These visions are complex. I don't think he understood the suffering. I don't think he understood the persecution. I, don't, I think that's what he's talking about. Like, why, God? When, God? I don't understand. He was devastated. He was horrified. He was devastated because relief for God's people was so far future. What these dreams were saying was that there will be generations of suffering before the sovereign king finally eradicates all injustice and establishes forever kingdom. Guys, look, Daniel felt the same way that we often feel now. When we, we, we experience it ourselves personally, or we look around and we see suffering and justice and persecution, we're devastated, we're horrified, we're confused. We just ask questions like, why, God? Why would you allow that? When will you right all the wrong? When will you fix all the broken things? Why this suffering? Why this injustice? Why? So what are, we to, what are we to do when we feel this way? What are we to do when these are the questions that are in our minds and weighing down our souls? Well, what did Daniel do? When there's no relief from suffering, when evil prospers and when injustice abounds. That brings us to chapter nine, Daniel's really long prayer. And we see this principle in chapter nine. In uncertainty, when you are crushed by those questions, turn your face to the sovereign king. We just have to learn in the uncertainty to turn our faces to the sovereign king. 
Look at chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of another king's reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. So what's he doing? He's reading the Bible. Like he's in the scroll that Jeremiah had written. So he's hearing his father's voice. He says, I'm reading Jeremiah, the prophet, and I perceive the number of days that must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Basically, this is 538 BC now. Um, like I said, Daniel's old. He's probably around 80 years. He's probably around 80 years old. They've basically been in captivity for 70 years. He opens the scroll and he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah prophesied, "You're going to be there like 70 years." So Daniel immediately starts talking to his father and saying, uh, "Time's up. Like it's time for us to go home. Like I was wondering when, but now's now's when. You're going to right all the wrongs." Chapter nine, verse four. Here's his prayer. Most of it. I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Amazing that Daniel would say that. It is true. God is the one who keeps the covenant. We are the covenant breakers. God is the one who maintains steadfast love. We are so weak in our affection for him. We have sinned, he says, and we have done wrong, and we have acted wickedly, and we have rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day to the men far away, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants and the prophets. You see what Daniel's doing here? He could have been aloof. He could have pictured himself as different than his people, better than his people. God, they're the problem. Can you just fix this, fix them so that all the brokenness can be made right? Daniel includes himself in the brokenness. We have sinned, God. We have rebelled against you. Guys, that's what a humbled follower of Jesus does. We're part of a messy church family. We're part of a family full of adopted in rebels. Nobody in here is better. Um, we're all the same. We all have rebel hearts with rebel tendencies. And so we don't pray God fix them. We, we pray God fix us. We don't, we don't pray God make that person repent. We pray God humble all of us. Help us to repent together. We all need your mercy. You own the righteousness and the forgiveness. We own the rebellion and we need what you have. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, um, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear us. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we, listen, guys, this is so key for us. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, 
but because of your great mercy. Because we don't go to the Father with any sense of, God, I'm a, I'm a, I've, been a, I've been a good kid. Like, I've earned, some, I've earned this, God. I've, look, at, look at, I've shown you how good of a son or a daughter I can be. No, we always go to the Father so aware of our own rebellion, recognizing that we are the very people that do not deserve to be shown mercy. And we appeal to him, not, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who our Father is, the covenant keeper, full of mercy, uh, to show that mercy to us. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. To feel this urgency in Daniel. Please fix the broken things. Brick, fix our broken hearts. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Gabriel shows up again. He always shows up. He has to show up over and over again in these chapters. And he says to Daniel in verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Uh, the Father sent for me when you began praying. And I've come to tell it to you. Like, the Father wants me to tell you something. Uh, because you are his greatly loved son, just like you. You are his greatly loved sons and daughters. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So what's happening? Daniel is looking at what's right in front of him right now. Like, God, please, you've got to fix this thing right, right, right here, right now. And if you fix this, everything will be all better. And Gabriel sh shows up and says, God wants me, Daniel, to lift your eyes up to the horizon. Because you're looking here, and you think if this thing in your life is fixed just right here, right now, everything will be better. The Father wants me to lift your chin up so that you can see way down here and to see that he is doing a far bigger thing and a far better thing. And he's going to fix all the brokenness, not just for you and for Israel, but for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in the world. And this is a really big plan, and it's going to play out, of, out over hundreds and even thousands of years. He says, Daniel, you want to go home, and that's a good thing, but it's a long, hard road, and God is working a bigger, better purpose. Let me show you. And so he begins to show him in verse 24. He says, 70 weeks, or 77s, 77s literally is what it would say, are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish. Now, notice, here's what God is going to do. I'm going to finish the transgression, no more rebellion. I'm going to put an end to sin. I'm going to rip out those rebel hearts and give new hearts. I'm going to atone for iniquity. I'm going to make right all of the things that have been made wrong that you can't make right yourself. I'm going to bring my people into everlasting righteousness, and I'm going to seal both the vision and the prophet, and I'm going to anoint a most holy place. Gabriel continues, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks, not literal weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it will be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end will come with the flood and to the end, and to the end there shall be war." desolations are decreed and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. All right, there's one of those paragraphs that you finish and you're like, ah, I need to step out of the woods. I need to see the big picture. Is Gabriel around? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't get any of that. What is going on? 
All right, remember, here's big picture. Everything's broken. Daniel wants to go home. He's seeing right here, right now. Gabriel shows up. We are just like Daniel, and our eyes have to be lifted up to see God's bigger plan, to see the bigger plan. So here's what's going on. Gabriel says 77s. What is that? What is that? Some people would say that's just literal. Do the math, John. That's, uh, we got like 490 years going on in there. Okay, maybe. Um, I think it's more symbolic, and here's why. Let me just tell you why. Are you guys familiar with the year of Jubilee in Old Testament writings? Year of Jubilee. How often did that come around? 50 years, but what was that mathematically? We got seven sevens, 49 gives us the 50th year, right? And so now we have 10 sets of that. So what was so significant about the year of Jubilee without getting way down into the weeds? The year of Jubilee in a word was about liberty. If you were a slave, you went free. If you were an indentured servant, you went free. If you owed money, the loans were forgiven. You didn't even farm the land. Like the land got to go free in the year of Jubilee. Everything was liberated and was restored and was made right. And so now this, these years, these ultimate kind of numbers, 10 sets of these is pointing to, if you will, an ultimate year of Jubilee. Like for them, they had to celebrate it every 50 years and they had to, they had to do it over and over again. And the, in this vision, the father's saying in Jesus, the year of Jubilee will finally be celebrated in a way where he will have done the work and it will be done for all time and it won't have to be celebrated again and again. In Jesus, you know true freedom. And you see it all through this paragraph. In verse 24, he points to the work that only Jesus could do, finish the transgression, put an end to sin, um, atone for our transgressions, atone for us. These are things Jesus did. And in, this, in verse 25, Jesus is the anointed one. He says place, but what we see, the temple's no longer the central place for worship. Jesus now is the anointed one. In verse 26, somebody's going to be cut off. Well, who was cut off for us? Jesus was cut off by the Father so that we could be adopted in through what he did. We see in here prophecy that uh, it would be destroyed again, and sure enough, it AD 70, Titus with the Romans rolled in and just absolutely destroyed Rome, just like Antiochus had done. Jesus said it would happen. And then in verse 27, we see that Jesus is going to make a new covenant by his blood, guaranteeing that he will return, crush rebellion, establish his kingdom, and rescue his people. It's the ultimate jubilee. That's what we're seeing in those numbers. Ultimate freedom in Jesus. It's beautiful. And so in all of our uncertainty, we need to learn as God's people to turn our face to our sovereign king because he is faithful to keep his promises. We need to remember that. And remember, this is all future stuff for Daniel, but not for us. So much of these chapters has already played out in history. We need to remember his promises and to remember daily to turn our face to him because it is a long, hard road home. There's a reason Daniel was reading Jeremiah when his heart was just jacked up. Guys, the only place we hear our father's voice is in the word. And when, when strength has been stripped away from us, you know where it's restored? In the word, in your father's voice. Guys, listen, that is the only place your soul will be strengthened in a meaningful and enduring way is through the father's voice. That's why Daniel was in, in Jeremiah. We got to remember his promises and turn our faces daily to him because it is a long, hard road home. So I just watched uh, a classic movie with my kids this weekend. Classic. Not Harry Potter. I already confessed that one. Classic. I'll give you that. Um, Good Dinosaur. Has anybody watched that film? 
Oh, you got to watch it with your kids, but it's like powerfully emotive, okay? So you're going to need lots of tissues, and the kids are all going to cry, and you're going to cry too. The dad dies right at the beginning. So the father's out hiking with his, his, did I just give that away? I'm sorry. Oh, man, my bad. Well, now you don't have to, don't bother. Like, when we're all done, I'll tell you how it finishes too. Oops. So in the very beginning, he's hiking with his son, his fearful son, and they're hiking along this raging river, but the river goes all the way back home, and he says to his son, whose name is Arlo, he says, Arlo, as long as you can see the river, as long as you can find the river, you can always find your way back home. We don't have a mystical river. We don't even have a geographical river, but we have a rescuing king, and what the father is saying to us in these visions is, as long as you can see the rescuing king, as long as you turn your face to him, as long as you remember his promises, as long as, as long as you keep leaning into Jesus, you will find your way home on this long, hard road. And that brings us to chapter 10. We'll wrap it here. Um, vision number three, fearful, fearful road, faithful king, and future promise, okay? In three chapters, we're just going to summarize. Um, let's start with the fearful road, guys. Again, we can't walk back out of the forest without realizing that the, the road home for every follower of Jesus will be long, it will be hard, it will be paved with hardship and persecute. We should expect those things. It's going to be a long, hard road home. Daniel describes it a couple different ways. Verse 2 of chapter 10, in those days I was mourning for three weeks. That's how hard it was for him to kind of get his brain around. He went into mourning for three weeks. Verse 8, so I was left alone and I saw this great vision and I had no strength left in me. My radiant appearance, kind of funny that Daniel writes about himself that way because you don't really hear him talking about himself. That, it's not very doodly either, but my radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. It's a long, hard road home, guys. In chapter 11, we move into chapter 11. Chapter 11 revisits themes from the previous two visions. So we're not gonna get down into the weeds here, but if you want to later today, the two visions that we saw in seven and eight, they're revisited in 11, but it just keeps going around and adds layers of detail, layers and layers of detail, okay? Um, chapter 11 spans from Daniel's day to the end of time. And again, in that vision, we see the enemy of God's people. He's described this way, and he makes the road hard. Verse 16 of chapter 11, he will do what he wants to, and no one will stand before him. He shall stand in the glorious land. God, guys, here's what your enemy has. See it? He has destruction in his hand. It's gonna be a long, hard road home. Lots of destruction being thrown your way. Many people will be deceived and many lives will be destroyed. Verse 36, and, and this king, this rebel king, he's gonna do what he wants to. He will exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and he will speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He will prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. Guys, for God's people, that means for us, there is a long and potentially fear-filled, difficult road that brings us home. But on this fearful road, the good news for us and Daniel is we have a faithful king. And Daniel's actually about to see this king. Verses five to six of chapter 10, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning and his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. You know why I read that portion? If later today you flip over to Revelation chapter one and you make it to like just right in the middle of that chapter, you, that paragraph is repeated almost verbatim to talk about who? 
Jesus. Daniel is seeing Jesus to be the one who is the sovereign rescuing king. Daniel sees him. In verses 10 to 12, he says, And behold, a hand touched me. Probably still Gabriel. Gabriel's nearby explaining the things that are going on. And, and he, set my, he set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand up. For now I have been sent to you for your help. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up, still trembling, but I stood up. And then he said to me, Daniel, don't be afraid anymore. Don't be afraid. You're on the long, hard road home. Don't be afraid, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come to you because of your words. Verse 10, we see on the fearful road home that Jesus is present with his people. He sent Gabriel to physically touch Daniel and to stand him back up. In verse 11, we see that on the fearful road home, Jesus loves his people. He says, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. That's what, the, that's what the Father says to every one of you through Jesus. You are my greatly loved sons and daughters. On the, on the long, hard road home, Jesus hears his people. Uh, Gabriel said to him, your words have been heard. The Father hears every word that you utter, and those words that are wrapped up in your heart that you don't have the strength to say, or maybe you're too afraid to say to the Father, you're just confused, you're hurting, he hears them all. And when he hears them, he always responds to his people. Jesus responds to his people. The messenger said, I have come because of your words. Guys, that's incredible. And we need to let that sink in. God hears and God responds. We're given a little glimpse Check this out in verse 13 to 14. Here's the path that Gabriel had to take to get to Daniel. This, this is just kind of crazy. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. This is a spiritual being being described. He, he withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is, ha- what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for this vision is for days yet to come. Guys, this is spiritual stuff going on in response to Daniel's prayer. What's happening? Um, We are getting a glimpse behind the veil, if you will, of what's going on when we pray to the Father, and it is mind-blowing. And if we were to let that settle into our hearts after we run around the forest that is Daniel for a little while, I think we would pray more and pray more fervently for each other. Man, I think we would see and, and, and believe, really, that when we pray, the Father hears every word, and he's good, and he sends help when you pray. And I think we would be more readily ready to admit Daniel's own words, man, there's, there's no strength left in me. Guys, at all times and in every season, we have people in our family who could honestly speak those words. I am worn down on the long, hard road home. I've been worn out by the enemy. I, am, I have no strength left in me. I'm confused. I'm hurting. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I, I need help. God's family is the place those words are supposed to be able to be spoken freely and met with grace and met with life. And we would go to the Father on behalf of these people and implore him for his help. And we would see Jesus work for the good of our family on the long, hard, fearful road home. Because of the sovereign king, Daniel is able to speak now. Because of the sovereign king, Daniel says, I'm strengthened now. He said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And look at these words. As he spoke Verse 16 of chapter 10, um, I was strengthened. Guys, we're strengthened as we hear the Father's voice. So on this long road home, it's a fearful road. We have a faithful king and we have a future hope. Let's wrap it right here. Verse 45, 
Daniel sees in this vision the worst rebel king of all time will actually come to his end with no one to help him. He will be destroyed by the sovereign king. Rebellion will be eradicated from this earth and it will be eradicated from our hearts too. And in that day, all the sad things will come untrue. We even see in Daniel the first real clear glimpse of a future resurrection for those who have died. Did you know that? Look at this in chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. What does that tell us, guys? That long, hard road home gets harder. There are hard days ahead. There are difficult days ahead on the last lap of that long, hard road home. But in that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust, those who have died, shall awake, some to everlasting life. Those who have repented and believed and submitted to the king will be awoken to everlasting life, and some, those who have rejected the king and disbelieved the gospel and continued in rebellion, they will be awoken but to shame and everlasting contempt. That's judgment and separation from the king. Guys, for his kids, Jesus put to death, he put death to death. Death is in its grave, as a songwriter likes to write. And those who repent and believe, though you will have a long, hard road home, you will have a faithful king on that road with you, and in the end, you will know this life. But still, we get to the end of Daniel, and we have that remaining question, but when? Like, when, God? Like, I'm ready for this now. How long is it going to be till the end? And look at how this book wraps up, verse 7 of chapter 12. I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward heaven. It's a way of swearing a vow, taking a vow. And he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a, ready? Daniel's not going to help us again. For a time, times, and half a time. Like we're just trying to find out when this thing is done. Well, there you go. Time, times, and half a time. Uh, we need Gabriel back. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And here's his confession again, verse 8. I heard, but I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. Um, and then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? But look at the Father's answer. Go your way, Daniel. Live life, Daniel. It's not really for you to be concerned about. Your concern is to entrust yourself to the sovereign king who rules all over all these. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. Ready? We have to end this way because it's Daniel and it's the forest. Here we go. There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Like, man, did you really have to end that way? Like right when I thought I was getting the big picture, that, what is that? Let me just let's suffice it to say this. There are so many explanations or interpretations as to what the 1,290 days and the 1,335 are talking about. We just have to be honest and be humble enough to say we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. But here's what we do know for sure based on all of Daniel and all of Scripture. Difficulties in this broken world will last for a season 
we'll call that season the 1,290 days. That is the long road home, and it is a long, long, broken road. But on the other side of that season, the 1,335, that day, future, that is the day of rescue and restoration. That is the day that our forever king arrives and eradicates sorrow, and there will be no more brokenness and no more rebellion and no more death, no more rebel tendencies in my heart. And what Daniel is saying is those who persevere in the strength of Christ will finally know this rest and and restoration, the ultimate year of jubilee, if you will, and we will all be set free in Christ. And you're like, okay, but still, what do I do with those numbers? Well, the good news for you is you don't have to make a chart. You don't have to even do the math. You don't need a calendar because the Father says in clear black and white to us, son, daughter, go your way until the end and you will rest and you will stand in your allotted place. Go live your life, not in fear, but with faith, with confidence in your rescuing king who is sovereign over all of these events. Keep looking to him. He will bring you all the way home and he will give you rest and you will stand in your allotted place in the family. Guys, that's the father's way of saying, I have never lost a single person in my family on this long, hard road home, and I will not start losing people today. I will bring all of my kids home. I will bring them all the way down this long, hard road. I will not lose a single, I won't lose you. I will bring you home. And Jesus, the faithful king, is on that road with you to get you there. I will not lose you. I won't lose you. Let's pray. Father, we need Gabriel, we need history books, we need help. Daniel is so complex, but in its complexity, I thank you that we can see by your grace just these common threads that you are a good rescuing king, you've adopted us in, that evil will not have the final word, and that Jesus is our faithful king who will carry us all the way home down this long, broken road. Father, I pray that you would just let this truth settle into our hearts this morning, that Our our worlds will not be rocked when we endure persecution or hardship, that we will look and see Daniel and every other member of your family over all time. It's normative for us to experience the suffering. But Jesus, we're weak and we can't endure on our own. So we thank you that you are our faithful king. You are with us. You love us. You lift us up. You cause us to speak. You give us life and you are going to bring us all the way home. And we can face an uncertain future and we can face changing seasons knowing full well we have no control over those outside events, knowing that suffering is in store, but knowing that you are the sovereign king, you are good, and you will, per- you will cause us to persevere through. You will bring us all the way home. Jesus, we are not our confidence. Our circumstances are not our confidence. You and you alone are our confidence this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we don't love you. Thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. Thank you that you made us your kids. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.